the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we better get into the Word. Um, we're in a series, and we've entitled it Still Standing, and it's Ironic, I didn't think about it, but the words of that song were talking about what are we going to be doing in the end? Are we still going to be standing? Are we still going to be faithful? Are we going to still have our joy? Are we still going to be praying and singing and all these things? So how are we going to sustain this good work that God has done in us and, to, and finish our course, as the Apostle Paul would say? The, the series has been entitled Still Standing. Last uh, week's message was called um, focused and faithful, I believe. And we talked about faithfulness. And uh, it was really life-changing. And I believe today's message is going to be equally life-changing. Today's message is entitled Checklist. I wanted to call it, uh, what was it? Uh, what was that other word that I was looking for? Well, anyway, we called it Checklist. Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis 35. I wanted to call it a settled heart and checklist. And so we'll be talking about both of those today, having a settled heart and having a checklist. But we're just calling the message checklist. Like that even matters. Genesis 35. Y'all have been so good to me last night. And I feel bad about the, the, how rough I'm going to be on you today. <laughs> but you did congratulate me for being rough on you many times. So remember that when I step on your toes this morning. Genesis, it's because I love you. 35, verse 2. Don't you hate when they say that? It hurts me worse than it hurts you. Yeah, right. You're the one with the belt. So. <laughs> Genesis 35, 2. We're going to talk about Jacob. Jacob is a man, I would call him double-minded most of his life. Boy, he was really flesh-driven for most of his early days. And when we pick up here in Genesis 35, this is after he's spent 14 years paying for those brides of his with his uncle Laban, and he's coming back. He's, done, he's wronged his brother, and he's fooled everybody, and, and he's coming back home. And he spent a night at the Jabbok River where he wrestled with God. And after he wrestled with God, he says in Genesis 35, verse 2, Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you. See, he's a man who's finally speaking out in his household and taking the lead. He's saying, all right, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. Have you ever got to that place? If you hadn't, you need to get there. You need to come to a decision, men folk. As for me and my house, we're putting away strange gods 
and we're serving the Lord. And it says, then be clean and change your garments. We're not wearing these filthy worldly clothes anymore. We are going to put on robes of righteousness. We're going to we're going to decide to follow the Lord, and we're going to show that we're following the Lord by keeping his commandments. We're taking off those dirty garments. Verse 3 says, and let us rise and go to Bethel. Do you know what the word Bethel means? It's a place. But the word Bethel translated is the house of God. So we're making a decision for Christ. We're going to live right, and we're going to church. Or be some amens in there. Like she said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make there an altar to God. An altar is a place in the temple where they would make the sacrifices. In other words, I'm laying my heart on the altar, God. I'm coming down, and I'm making a firm decision for Christ. I'm going to... From now on, my heart is ready to sacrifice to you. Whatever you say goes. He says, I will make an altar to God. And who answered me? He answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way in which I went. In other words, it was him pursuing me with his love. All those knuckleheaded things that I did all the way. Nobody, all my friends left me. You know, it seemed like My life was falling apart, but God never left me, never stopped pursuing me, never stopped sending people to talk to me. It was you, God, that was with me my whole life. And they gave unto uh, Jacob all the strange gods that were in their hands. So all his household decided to follow Jacob. And they gave up all those things, everything that was in their lives that had been more important to them than Jesus. So his children put down those cell phones or those those R-rated video games or all the things that they knew weren't right. His wife, they put up, they, they gave up every strange thing that had taken the place of God in their life. They decided, you know what? When a man decides to follow God, it may not happen overnight. But if a man will make a decision for God, as for me and my house, I'm going to follow the Lord, we're going to follow the Lord, and he will set some boundaries for his household, it won't take long before the whole house will give up their strange gods. And they gave up all their earrings, which were in their ears. They stopped listening to all the stuff that they shouldn't be listening to. And Jacob hid them under the oak, which was by Shechem. I believe... You could say he dropped them off at the cross. He just took all that stuff. We don't want it no more. We don't want the things of this world no more. We're dropping it off at the cross. We have decided to follow you, Lord. We're going to your house. We're putting on new clothes of righteousness. We're giving up our strange gods and everything that this has to do with is pulling us away from you. And we're laying it all at the cross. We're putting our heart on the altar and saying, I am yours. I sacrifice my life for you. Now, you know, Jesus died for us, but he wants us to live for him. So that's our sacrifice. So after wrestling with God on the the river Jabbok, 
Old Jacob is given a new name, Israel. God calls him Israel. He blesses him with a new name. And now this Israel decides to be a principled man. Say principled. What does it mean, principled? Well, I looked up the word principle, and I thought that may be, give me an idea of what it means to be principled if you look up the word principle. And it says, it said something along the lines of a, an old guy that just tries to keep you from having fun in high school or something like that. But then I said, no, that's the wrong spelling. And I went to a different spelling, and it says, a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as a foundation for a system of belief or a behavior or for a chain of reasoning. You want me to say that again? It's in the dictionary. A fundamental truth or proposition that serves as a foundation for a system of belief or behavior or a chain of reasoning. What it's saying is it's a foundation on which you build the way you think. When you decide to be a principled man, that you're going to live by a set of principles, then it, change, it fundamentally changes the way everything is viewed. It's, it's a new lens, it's a new filter for the way every thought must be brought through your understanding. I have decided to follow Christ, therefore every decision I make is going to be principled on a foundation of God's Word. Does that make sense? Jacob decided to go by his new name, Israel, and be a principled man. A principled man makes firm decisions based on godly values. Now, his old name, I've, have you heard the message? It was preached in here several times over the years that the word Jacob, you know, I'm look, talking about what names and stuff mean a lot today. The word Jacob meant swindler, cheater, like a con man. Uh, Jacob in here today, is he? Do we have any other Jacobs in here? I'm sorry, but... But... Oh, it gets worse. But I looked up... I tried to research what it meant. You know, I Googled it. And, and I could not find anywhere where it said that Jacob meant swindler, but it did say uh, a heel. Wasn't it Jacob that grabbed his brother's heel on the way out, his twin brother, when they were born? And Jacob means a heel. It also means a, a rear. And if you know, if you studied anything about the life of Jacob, you know that he was a rear. <laughs> he was a butthead. He was lazy when his brother was going out to kill game, to feed the family. He was just lazing around the tents. You know, he was just an odd kind of fella. He cheated his brother when his brother came back, you know, tired from, from hunting, and, he's, and he gave him a bowl of soup for his birthright. You know, he took advantage of people. He ended up lying to people. He, he, he deceived his own father, stole his brother's blessing. He was a, he was a swindler. He was a rear. But how many of you know, if you live the life of, as a con man, you're, you're probably going to hang around with other con men, and eventually you're going to meet your match. If you live in a den of thieves, you're going to get stole from. 
And he met his match in his uncle Laban. <laughs> he wasted 14 years of his life. Uh, his, his uncle Laban just using his labor, using his skills and talents to, to bless himself. And Jacob got very little out of it. It wasn't until he began to try to follow the Lord and do what God said that Jacob finally ended up with a blessing. Now, now he's on the way back home before he says this. And he spent the night on the Jabbok River and he wrestles with God. And God, at the end of the night, Jacob says, I won't let go of you unless you bless me. And God says, I'm going to bless you with a new name. Your new name is Israel. Now, you want to know what the name Israel means? It means one who wrestles with God and prevails. How would you like to wrestle with God and win? How do you win wrestling with God? Think about that for a moment. I've got to think, how do you wrestle with God and win? Well, first of all, you survive the ordeal. I would say that's winning in one regard. But to win in a wrestling match with God, I believe means that you come to his way of thinking. You actually, by losing to him, you win. By giving up to him, you win. By surrendering to God, you win. So he wrestled with God and he won by, because he gave up and said, God, you win. I am How many of you have wrestled with God your whole life? God, I want to do what's right, but my flesh sure wants to go over here. God, I've been going to church for three months. I think it's time I went back to the club. I know you would let me have this one night. And you have wrestled, and you have wrestled, and you have never become a principled man or woman. You have based your decision, kind of left it up in the air. Mm. Do you want to be known when he comes back in the end as someone standing firm? Do you want to be known as an Israel? Someone who wrestled with God and prevailed? Or do you want to be an old rear-end swindler Jacob? Who's always... Jacob did some good things when, it, when his flesh permitted it. He made some good decisions. But you're going to have to decide, is God going to prevail? Are, are you going to prevail by surrendering to God in your life? You don't want to be called double-minded, do you? Because that's... That's where a lot of people are. They are just adrift on the sea. And whatever wave hits them, ooh, we'll go that way. Right? You're just going day to day. You don't have a foundation from which to make decisions. James 1.6 says, Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Say double-minded. Double Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Unstable. That shouldn't be 
characteristic of somebody who's standing on the rock. Jacob wasted his youth. He wasted his reputation. He ruined the relationships with his family and probably everybody else. Everybody's like, he's a rear. He thought he was going to get ahead, but he never did that way. You are, you are where you're at today because of the decisions you have made in the past. The very character that you portray is a culmination of every decision that you have made in your past. When you said, I'll go left here instead of right, or I'll, let's go up, or let's go down, or yes, or no. Every decision that you have made in your life has led you to that purple chair you're sitting on today and whatever state that your life is in and however somebody views you. Your integrity, your character, everything is based on the decisions that you make. It's not on your good intentions. If that was the case, we'd all have halos. It's based on the decisions you have made when you were faced with a choice. Can I get an amen? Yeah. So common sense would behoove us to begin to make our decisions more carefully based on a better underlying principle, God's. Now, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but you have to ask yourself, do I want to be a Jacob or do I want to be an Israel? Say, a settled heart and a checklist. That's what it requires. You've got to settle some things in your heart like Jacob finally did. And now we're going to talk about a checklist. When I was working at Power and Telephone Supply before I came to work here as a pastor, I was still going to church here, but there was a manager lady that worked there, a real nice lady, and she had some back issues, and she would often be in pain. And one time I asked her, why does your back hurt so much? She said, I was in a plane crash when I was a teenager. Well, that just excited me. Not that it had happened to her, but I love plane crashes. You know, I don't really love plane crashes. But, but I'm fascinated by them. Uh, I'll look at the videos of them sometimes. I don't, because I've had dreams. I, I worked at the airport for like 12 years, and it's just... It's a morbid fascination, I guess, to plane crashes. But I, I will stop that. That's not under my underlying principles. No. But anyway, I wanted to know. I was very curious. A plane crash? I'd never seen anybody been in a plane crash. And, and so I said, will you tell me what happened? And she told me the story. Now, I don't have all the details right, but I'll tell you what I do know. She said when I was 15 years old, and my friend, my girlfriend was 16 years old. We were, went out on a date with these older boys. They were 17, 18, 19 year old range. Well, they tried to get us to drink some alcohol and we wouldn't do it because we weren't old enough. We knew that wasn't good. So they said no to that. But one of the boys had his pilot license and his dad owned a, like a single engine Cessna or something, one of those small airplanes. And they dro drove us to the airport and said, let's go flying. And they were like, we don't want to. We're scared, you know. We don't. 
You're, old, you're so young, we don't even know if you can fly good, you know, our parents wouldn't approve or whatever, but the boys were insistent, you know. And so the, being just a teenage girl, they, they gave in to pressure. Don't do it. Don't ever give in to pressure. Have underlying principles. Okay, so they gave in to pressure and they took off. And they got however high you get in one of those things, way up in there, and they, the boys had been drinking, and the boy flying the plane, he gets an idea. I'll scare the girls, and I'll cut off the engine. Then I'll cut it back on. So he cut off the engine, pretending, uh-oh, the engine's gone off. What are we going to do? And he had them all scared. And then he said, that's all right. And he tried to crank it back. It wouldn't start. And now he's all scared. I'll tell you the rest of this story later. But I will say, a pilot is supposed to have a checklist. Right? I worked at FedEx. I flew in the cockpit with, you know, DC-10 pilots and so forth, and they go through a checklist of things must be examined before they take off. Every piece of the plane's got to be working. All the, the buttons are pushed right, and they know what they're doing. And when they get up in the air, guess what? They're still flying by a checklist. They've got a, a chart, a course. They change the headings, the, the automatic pilot stuff. There's, a, there's, a, there's an order to things. You don't just... Make your decisions in an airplane on a wing in a prayer. <laughs> right? You don't just go anywhere the wind blows. Just up in the air. Are y'all getting these? You don't be flighty. <laughs> Airheaded. Don't be a bird brain. I got more, you know. <laughs> Those things will likely have you come crashing down. You don't do that as a pilot. What happens in your car if you don't change the oil, you don't check the fluids, you run bad gas, you never get needed repairs? What happens? You're liable to break down. What happens in your body if you never get any rest, you never get any exercise, you got a bad diet, you're putting in things that ought not be in your body? What begins to happen? You break down. Don't be headed for a breakdown. Many of us have spent a good portion of our paychecks down at some mechanic's garage because of these ideas. Bec at hospitals, paying for insurance and stuff because we don't take care of our bodies. We don't take care of our cars. Those of us who have spent a lot of money, eventually we probably learned that we need to make some checklists. I need to know when was the last time my oil was changed. I need to start taking vitamins. I need a checklist to make sure I'm doing the things, the maintenance that makes me run properly. Who was the inventor of the first checklist? That's a good answer. Who engraved two tablets with ten checklists and have Moses bring them down? And when Moses dropped the ball, it was important enough that God gave him two more tablets. 
He gave him another checklist. He was tired of us dropping the ball. He was tired of us failing, breaking down. And so he gave us something to check off to make sure that we're, real, we're living life the way we're supposed to. Are you tired of missing the mark? Write you a checklist. Now I'm going to pick on sound and media for a minute. Because I'm over sound and media department. It's one of my departments. And they do a fine job. I'm just going to say before I get started that they, it takes a lot to work back there. It takes a lot of, of knowledge. You've got to know how to open computers, programs, operate different machinery, r run a soundboard. It almost takes a, a genius to, to run that digital soundboard. If you just look up there, it makes your head spin. The things that they run back there. And they know how to do it. There's not a person back there that doesn't know their job and doesn't do it very well. But I begin to notice over a period of time, some of the more simpler things weren't getting done on, in any given service, you know, at random. The overhead projector wasn't on, you know, before the service or something, or, or they didn't cut the music on before, for people to come in to hear or whatever. One time the, the mics were cut off when we tried to sing the first song. Or my, the battery here was not, you know, changed or something. And I, I know they know better. They know all those things need to be done. What they needed was a checklist. You see what would happen? They come in here on a Wednesday. They didn't put in 10 hours at their job doing spreadsheets or whatever mental stuff that they got going on. They know that the overhead projector is supposed to be on, but they come in here and they overlook some things. Do you see how important? But if you've got a checklist, you know, I've got a checklist. I begin to write out a checklist for everything I do here during the week, and I check it off. I begin to find out that if I didn't have a checklist, every Monday I would come in here and say, okay, what is it I do this week? And you know, I would have to spend like, two or three hours of thinking and writing all the things down that I need to accomplish this week. That's reinventing the wheel every week. So I made myself a checklist. Now, I update the checklist as new things come around. But it's much easier to update something than it is to start over every day. And see, when, when you got a checklist back there and you know what needs to be done, you check them off one at a time. Okay, got that done. You can come in here mentally wore out. And you can just follow the list. It makes life so much easier. And when you get through with the checklist, guess what? You can relax. How many of you don't have a checklist, and even though you think you finished everything you're supposed to finish, you're still freaking out, I know there's something I left undone. I know there's something. And you can never relax a checklist will make you relax. I've got it done. If worst case scenario, I've got the basics covered. This is really simple, but I believe it's really important. You know, kids love boundaries. They'll never tell you that. <laughs> They'll push every boundary you set. You can't go past our cove. You can't stay up past a certain hour. Oh, mama, 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 mama. Daddy, daddy, daddy. 
And they'll push those boundaries. But deep down inside, those boundaries create a safe space for them. And if you don't give a kid boundaries, he will grow up the most fearful person that you have ever met. Scared of the world because he don't have a safe boundary. A place where he knows he can play and mama's, got, mama's jurisdiction is over this place. And that's the way it is with adults as well. You function better knowing God has jurisdiction and you're, within, you're under the wings of the Almighty. The things, the decisions that you're making. So today, with what time, oh my gosh, with the checklist. The time that we have left, I'm going to give you my top ten on the spiritual checklist. The top ten, Pastor Guy's spiritual checklist. Your checklist may have many more things. You may have better things than these. But... From where I'm sitting, and the way I see it, if you have these ten, you can pretty much relax a little bit. Okay? So, you know, at the bottom of your sheet, you might want to write these down. And you can add to what these all you want. I'm going to have to hit them kind of fast because y'all been listening real slow up to this point. (laughs) Maybe I've been preaching a little slow. Today's message is very practical, but life-changing. Number one, on your spiritual checklist, read your Bible. I don't know God's will for my life. I don't ever hear God's voice. You want to hear God's voice? Open up the Word of God and read it out loud. This is God speaking to you. This is where you find God's will for your life. This is how you connect with God. Throw away all your excuses. I can't understand the King James. I I don't care. (laughs) Get you a new living translation or something else. I made a covenant with God that I will not go a whole day with letting my, without letting my eyes rest on his word. I, you can ask my wife. I've w- woken up out of a dead sleep and said, I, for, I, I forgot to look at the word of God today. Now, that's a very unusual day for me because I, I wake up reading. I've got structure in my life. But something happened that day and didn't get to look at the word of God on a hunting trip or something. I will get up out of my knapsack thing and get, I don't sleep in a knapsack. What's this? Sleeping bag. And I will go find a Bible, and I will just read Jesus wept just because I put my eyes on it. I just got to put my eyes on the Word of God. That's how important it is to me. Don't miss a day without reading the Word. It's not enough just to hear me speak it. It has to be yours, your own. And even reading some of these devotionals you do, that's good. That's great. But read the Bible for yourself. Don't just listen to what somebody else has to say. Let God speak to you. Learn to listen for yourself. Number one, read the Bible. Number two, your prayer time. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't too far out there for anybody, is it? But you've got to have a prayer time. How can you confess to love Jesus? You don't even walk with him. You don't talk with him. You don't know it. And I'm not talking about just a monologue where you tell him your list of wants. I'm talking about a dialogue where you talk and you learn to listen. If you have to go in the closet somewhere to get along with him, I personally 
walk with the Lord. Says it in the Bible, to me, walking with the Lord, I can get away and just me and him, that works for me, but there's other times I do other ways. I don't care how you do it, but just do it. Number three, church, a priority. A priority. Well, you're just a pastor. You just want to I could, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I would preach if it was just one of you here. But I am not saying this. This has nothing to do with me. Jesus is building his church. This is his idea. If you want to get with God's program, you must be a part of the church. You must make church a priority. I've been around long enough to see what happens when people begin to slack off coming to church. They were on fire for a little while. Mark chapter 4, the, seed of, the parable of the, the seeds, you know. They sprung up and they were all excited. But the cares of this world and the lust of other things and, and the wind blows and scorches and all these things begin to, well, I'm, I'm not going to make, I'm going to stop coming Wednesdays because of this or that. Or I got this new job. Let me tell you. There was a time in this country where this country respected Sundays and only emergency people worked on Sundays. But we're not living in that time anymore. And so everybody is, is vying for your Sunday. The devil is vying for your Sunday. He's trying to take it from you. Now, am I saying, oh, I know you got to work and support your family and I know your job is important or whatever. But I'm saying... Chick-fil-A bucked that system, and it's working out fine for them. Are you trusting your job, or are you trusting God? Now, I used to tell the teenagers when I was over to youth, and I'm not sure if I'm courageous enough to tell the adults yet, but I used to tell the youth, if, if, if somebody offers you a job and you can't make Wednesday service, then don't take that job, because this is that important. Church is that important. I promise you. I see it all the time. Well, it's a slow fade. We're just not going, we're not going to come because I, I stayed up late or this or that. And you just, you, you have no principles. No godly principles. You make up your mind on how you feel on Sunday morning. Or you just take the job. I'm not meaning to offend anybody in here who works on Sundays because they're probably not here right now. <laughs> but if you know somebody, I'm not trying to offend them. I'm not saying that they have done anything wrong. And I know, and I know there's situations that you can't help. And everybody has to make that decision for themselves. But as your pastor, I would, I would implore you to make Sunday and probably Wednesday a major priority in your life. If you're stuck in a place that's causing you to miss Sundays, talk to your boss. Pray about it. Ask God to help me out of this situation. Faithfulness to church is faithfulness to God, in my opinion, because that is what he is doing on the earth. Now, you can get mad at me if you want to, but that needs to be said. Somebody needs to say that. Maybe I have enough courage to say it today. Church. A priority. Number four, worship God with your whole life. 
Make it your priority to make God big in this world, to give him glory with everything you do. That underlying principle that, that is this, how's this going to affect my witness for Jesus Christ? How's this going to affect my ability to help save somebody, to witness to somebody? That needs to be an underlying principle in your life. That needs to be something you check off. Romans 12.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a holy and a living sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It's not, worship is not just a song on Sunday mornings. Worship is how you live your lives Monday through Sunday. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's how God changes you, by changing your underlying principles, making you a principled person. If you're not, you're double-minded and you're just going with whatever the world says. We're supposed to come out of the world and be this new person. That's how we worship God. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, that's what's missing. A settled heart and a checklist. Number five, care and provide for your household. Well, you told me not to work on Sundays. (laughs) Believe it or not, there are people that will let you off on Sundays if, if you request it, and there are jobs that don't require you to work on Sundays. And God can provide despite what the world is doing. 1 Timothy 5.8, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Take care of your family, whatever role you play in your family. Number six, live love out. What do I mean? Galatians 5.16 says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. No, no, that's the wrong one. Romans 12.9 says, don't pretend to love others, really love them. Don't just pretend, saying it's easy. Saying, brother, if you need any help, you know, let me know, but I'd love to help you. That's easy. Saying, what time you need me to be there? That's hard. Live, love out. Love isn't something that you hoard to yourself. It's something that you give out. The more you give out, the more you take in. Love is a verb. Number seven. Live disciplined lives. And that's the, the Galatians 5, 16. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You see, you're in a battle for what, what you believe. You've got a sinful nature that wants to pull you in the wrong direction. And unless you decide to be a disciplined person, you'll lose that battle. And all the rest of these will fall apart. You have to control your your fleshly desires. You can't overeat. You can't put in your body things that you shouldn't put in. You can't put yourself in situations where you know you're going to be tempted. You have to learn to discipline yourself. We're living in a society where kids are growing up with very little discipline, and they're all over the place, and you see the results. But we have to be different. We have to train our children up in the way they should go, discipline them, Uh, If you don't discipline your children, you hate the child, the Bible says. 
Well, I don't whoop them because I love them. No, you don't whoop them because you don't love them. If you loved them, you would whoop them. That's, my, that's the Guy Sheffield translation. When I say whoop, I mean in a, you know, in a nice way. With love. Discipline. Discipline. <laughs> Number eight. This was a big. This was a bit. This is a big one in my life since I got saved. The Lord is is continually working in me humility. Humility, a, a, a walk towards humility, has to be evident in a Christian's life. You can't just say I'm all that in a bag of chips and it's all about me and think that you're moving in the right direction with God. God is all about humility. He exalts the humble, but He opposes the proud. And the, the way, one of the main ways that you can learn to be a humble person is to learn from your past mistakes and learn from the situations that you're going through. You know, you can look back at, these are the things I did in the past and what should I have learned? How did I get myself in that position so I don't get myself in that position again? That's what you need to, you need to learn from your past. You don't need to do like society today to try to erase the past, but you need to learn from it and deal with it and face the ugly things that you did so that you, now you know not to do those again. Amen. And the situations that you're in every day, the circumstances you find yourself in at your work right now, why am I here? How did I get here? Am I doing uh, something that's glorifying God or underlying situation that I caused myself and I need to apologize. Always be asking yourself questions. How, what would Jesus do? How do I do this? How do I walk in humility? How do I walk in love in this situation? Number nine, put God's will above your own. Jesus said in the garden, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And that was a great example. God's will is way better for your life than your will could ever be. And your true life is found in Him. And so when God tells you to do something, ask you to do something you don't want to do, just go ahead. Be principled and say, if God said it, that settles it. Don't look at the Word of God and pick out the Scriptures you like and say, that's the God I want to serve. That's idolatry. You've created a new Jesus. Look at the Word of God and see what it says, and that settles it. If God says this about that, that's the way I believe about that. If God asks me to do something and I don't want to do it, I'm going to do it because I know in the end all things are working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I know he has the best for me. I know he has purposes and plans for me, and I'm going to follow him. His will is more important than mine. Mine's got me spinning in circles sometimes. Number 10. And this is important too, for all of us who have messed up the first night. <laughs> Always run to God and not away. Learn how to handle sin. When you sin, 
Confess your sins. Repent of your sins and get back up on your feet and move along and trust the Word of God that you're forgiven of your sins and cleansed of all unrighteousness and keep walking with God. I want to tell you, I know people who have done this sin, and it may be an awful sin or whatever, or they have this sin in their life, but because they've done this or have this sin, they turn away from God and God, I, I just can't face God. Like God's not seeing them over here. <laughs> like he don't know they did it. Like they're running from him. But he's still there. And guess what? They're running from God is more troublesome to God than their original sin is. Running from God is a, the hugest mistake you could ever make. There's no sin worse than running from God. God will forgive. God will restore. God will redeem. God will take all your mess and make it a bless. But you can't run from him. You run to him. Learn how to handle sin in your life. What would you add to this list? There's things that maybe you're thinking of right now. Add it to your list. You know, sit, sit down this week. I put a little thing on your sheet there. Ask you questions about your different character traits and stuff. You can grade yourself. You can begin to see where you need, you know, just checklists, things that are tools to help you evaluate and see where you're at. But make you a checklist. How many of you are still doing the daily confession thing that we, we saw this video from Craig Rochelle where you're, you're making daily life, positive life confessions over your life? how it changed. I'm doing it. I don't do it every day. I'm up to two or three times a week, but it's making a difference. There was a scripture I used last week in the Sunday services already making a difference in my life. Psalms 92, 2, where it says, uh, declare his faithful love in the, mor uh, faithful love in the morning. It, well, I wrote it down for a reason. Okay, I've only been working on it a week now. It's good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning and your faithfulness in the evening. And I thought, man, that, that really was, became a rhema word to me. I'm getting up in the morning now and I'm saying, God, your love is just so wonderful. I'm going to walk in it today and by the time I get to this, this afternoon, I know you're going to be faithful, but help me to be faithful to you. And so I'm proclaiming his love in the morning, and I'm proclaiming that today, by this afternoon, I'm going to be found faithful. It's making a difference in my life. I thought I'd share that, because we're still talking about still standing in the end. Things that you do, the Word of God becomes real to you. You'll get your own scriptures if you'll get in here. A settled heart and a checklist are invaluable. You are what you decide. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. God's love is, God is love and God's love is a decision. You had to make a decision. Love requires a decision. You can't change love's mind because love is unconditional. Your salvation was a decision for love. You started a new journey, didn't you? You said, I decided on love. I give you my heart, Jesus. You gave me your heart. We've made an exchange here. We're going on a journey together. And you don't start a journey without a plan. 
You know, you got to have a GPS. You got to have a map. You got to you got to know what direction you're going. And so, a settled heart. This is where I'm going, and a checklist to help me get to where I'm going. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, they had to ha- they had to settle some things in their heart. They were taken away captive into Babylon, but these three boys decided they were not going to act like the Babylonians, the pagans. They were going to serve God in an ungodly land, and that's where we find ourselves today. They wanted them to eat the same kind of foods and do the same kind of stuff, but they said, no, no. Let's find a way around this. God will help us. And sure enough, God helped them to continue their diet. And then when they were told to bow down and worship that false idol God that the king had made, they wouldn't do it. Everybody else did it. It would have been Everybody else is doing How many times teenagers say that? Everybody else is doing it. How many times adults say that? Everybody else is doing it. But they were principled men, and they said, we ain't doing it. And when they were brought on the carpet before king, and he says, if you don't do it, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Don't you think they, they had to have already known in their heart how to respond and not to give in at that moment? They said, we believe our God will deliver us if you throw us in that fire. But even if he don't, we're not bowing down and worshiping the things of this world. It was settled in their hearts. You don't think that Jesus had it settled in his heart before that first crack on his back with the whip? You wait till you get hit in the back that first time to make up your mind. You're like, I'm out of here, angels. You don't wait till then to make up your mind. Self-preservation kicks in. It's just part of your human nature to say, I've been taking care of this flesh and cherishing it and treating it good and trying to hold it together all these years, and now you're just going to hit me 39 times or more on the back with a whip? You'd be thinking of some excuses why you couldn't do it because you didn't settle it in your heart. You don't think when that first nail was driven through his wrist bones, See, he, he endured the cross by keeping his eye on the prize. And that was you. You were his reason to stand firm against temptation. And he must be your reason to stand firm against temptation. But you've got to know him. You've got to know in whom you believe. You've got to know what you believe. You've got to stand firm on it. You've got to be principled. You've got to settle things in your heart or you'll keep falling for this world every time. You've got to know ahead of time. That's real good preaching. Well, what does that got to do with a checklist? <laughs> Jesus had a checklist. When he went to John the Baptist to get baptized, John the Baptist said, oh, whoa, whoa, Jesus, you ain't done no sin. You don't need to be baptized. Jesus said in Matthew 3, 15, he said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. It was on Jesus' list to do. He fulfilled over 350 Old Testament prophecies. They were on his list. Some of them, he he had no control over. God, the Father, had control over. 
But others, he had a list of things. He said, I must accomplish all that the Father has sent me to do. He had a checklist, I'm telling you. All right, y'all want to hear the, what happened in the plane crash? It's not, it's not good. Well, silly teenager. I'm always picking on teenagers. I love teenagers. I only pick on them because we got the best ones in the world. And they can take a joke. They sit on the front row. Tell me another church where this teenagers sit on the front row. Teenagers lead worship. Teenagers do more evangelism than the adults. Teenagers are preaching the message. Y'all should have been here Wednesday night. They took over the service Wednesday night. They're... One of their leaders, Nicholas, preached the service. I'm telling you, I'm sorry for picking on teenagers. I just tease them so much because I love them so much. But that teenager that wasn't following the Lord flying that airplane, cut the engine off, couldn't get it cranked back up. You know what happens to a plane that loses its propulsion? It becomes a real heavy glider. Now, I can't remember all of what she said, but I, I, I'd like to talk to her again and get some more details. No, I, I'm, I gave all that up. <laughs> but, but they crashed. They crashed hard. She said when the ambulance came, there were two of them. They had one ambulance got there, and they could take two patients, and they said, let's get the two that might live. And she wasn't taken. The other one that was with her left behind. They were all covered in either diesel or gas, whatever those engines run on. And he had burned, or he or she, I'm not sure. I think that one went on to die later. She said she was cut open and her innards were spilled out. And uh, that's why she's probably in her 50s now and she's still got issues, health issues. You got to settle things in your heart to fly this plane right. Called your life. You can't deviate from the checklist. If you want to avoid unnecessary death and destruction, you got to fly right for God. We bring most of the tragedy in our lives on ourselves. We cut our engine off. We throw our checklist aside. We drink a little beer and we think we're, we're 10 foot tall. And we come crashing down. You know, if you'll make a checklist, you'll look at it every day and say, am I doing this? Am I waking up in his love? And by the evening, am I being found faithful? You'll ensure spiritual integrity and godly character in your life. If you'll do that, those 10 that I gave you, you'll be good. You won't ever have to apologize for it either. People will say, why aren't you running to the same sins that we're running to? Why, why, why is your life not a mess? Not that bad things won't happen, but the way you're handling it is freaking everybody out. You'll just say, this is just who I am. And this is what I do. You'll say, I am what I am by the grace of God. You won't have to apologize because you'll be the one they'll be running to when their plane crashes. You'll be driving the ambulance. 
You want to be an Israel? Or do you want to be a Jacob? Wrestle with God. And prevail by letting him have his will in your life. He wants to take you to a great place of honor. He wants to take you to new heights. He wants to take you out of the miry pit of hell that you've lived through so far and show you love, life more abundantly. He's got a plan. That's who I want to fly with. I want his hands on the control. I don't want to be his co-pilot. I want him to be the pilot. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.